At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of your Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your daily podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team, the Charlotte Hornets. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us once again. Game day edition, Hornets in their finale at the Spectrum Center for this regular season will host the Los Angeles Clippers, and we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the matchup, of course, with Charlotte Observer longtime beat writer Rick Bunnell. We're also going to talk about the fan giveaway opportunity or the buying opportunity of an NFT with Tamara Daniels, Senior Vice President and General Counsel for the Hornets. She's going to give us the lowdown, everything NFT and what fans need to do in order to get their hands on theirs. Hint, you need to be in the building, so go to Hornets.com to get your tickets now. And we'll also talk to Rick Bunnell about the two biggest storylines of the season, the run into the postseason, and LaMelo Ball's Rookie of the Year candidacy. With that, we welcome Rick Bunnell back here to the Hornets Hivecast. Rick, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Sam. Well, Rick, there there are two major storylines to the season that I think are, are going to stand the test of time. That When we look back at the 2020-2021 season for the Hornets outside, of course, of the pandemic, it'll be about the Hornets making that jump, getting into a, a postseason once again for the first time in five years, and LaMelo Ball's Rookie of the Year campaign. Let's start with LaMelo. It has been a more adventurous route than I think we all thought it would be when the second half of the season started. Uh, at that point, it looked like he had pulled away. Then the injury happens. It casts some doubt on whether or not he would take the award due to how many games he would play. He comes back, and now there seems to be a question, at least in some of what I read out there, about whether or not LaMelo has done enough or maybe more appropriate to say whether Anthony Edwards has done enough to keep LaMelo from getting the award. What are you hearing from those of your colleagues who have a vote, have a say in this award? Sam, first off, I'd be really surprised if LaMelo doesn't win. I think it's more a matter of how emphatically he wins. And I really agree with what James Borrego has said for a couple of months now, that what makes LaMelo different is he is truly having a significant effect on the Hornets' bottom line as far as winning and losing. And that is rare, even for elite, truly, truly elite NBA rookies. There are just so many metrics about that. I, I stumbled over one the other day with some friends that when LaMelo was on the, on the floor, they averaged 15.1 fast break points per 48 minutes. When he's off the floor, they average like 11 
per 48. That it absolutely justifies what Borrego says when he says that LaMelo is literally the engine of their offense. He's been far from perfect lately. He's had a couple of rough games, and I'm beginning to wonder how much his wrist is bothering him. But as far as his body of work, Anthony Edwards is putting up some really impressive numbers. And those numbers alone in a more typical rookie class might make him rookie of the year i'm not saying he's deserved not deserving to get votes i'm not belittling his season in any way but to me there's a very small number of rookies who have ever significantly affected a team's entire season so positively and i think that makes this a no-brainer the other major storyline that i think will stand the test of time has been the hornet success as as in this season being the stepping stone to perhaps a future title contender or title run, hopefully, one day. And a lot of that is propelled by LaMelo, but also by this young team in general, surpassing expectations that the national media had presented. Thinking back to the start of the season, were you more in line with this Hornets team can make the postseason, or did you kind of follow the uh, the national pundits who said this is a team that's going to win somewhere in the 20s and be back in the lottery again it surprises me less i think than it did people out there in in vegas or whatever what i mean by that sam is when the play-in format was announced and you knew that everybody in the top 10 was at least going to have a shot I thought this team had enough to be in that conversation. So it was just a matter of whether they could they could close the deal. It, 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 it surprised me dramatically less, I think, than it did some other people. The final part of it, and this is one that's not going to come to fruition, but I think you know this year has been a real example of just how good this coaching staff has done, and the front office, quite frankly, uh, to have such a young team in terms of experience be able to withstand this many injuries and absences is a testament to a what Mitch Kupchak has provided James Borrego to work with and the job James Borrego and his staff has done he's not going to win coach of the year because they're they're under 500 and there are other very good candidates out there but how good of a coaching job and how good of a, a building job for a very young nucleus has this been from what you've seen historically I think that JB and every coach in this league um, has had challenges this season way beyond what the average fan probably grasps. Um, the lack of practice time, the lack of lead into the season. Um, the rookie class has just been, well, I mean, I'm going to use Mitch's word, overwhelmed by the fact that there was no summer league, no summer, and about 12 minutes between the draft and, tree and the start of training camp. Um it's been a mess, and I think JB has navigated that fairly well. I think that, you know, when I think of Borrego, when I, among the nine coaches who I've covered in the league, the thing that come that I've, you know, I, 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 I've tried to see something um, distinctive about each one of them. And here's what I think is interesting about JB that has nothing to do with basketball. He is unconventional. He is willing to try the unorthodox. Um, I, I, Sam, I think I've mentioned this to you before that when I asked JB once, what is it about your, the way that you look at life that may affect your coaching? And he said, he never wants to be viewed as somebody who is reactionary. Um, 
I think that that has shown up this season in terms of his willingness to try Jalen McDaniels, to try, um, you know, Caleb Martin. And some of that, you know, obviously circumstances force your hand, but he's made an effort to um, investigate those possibilities. It is true. That's not the first time you've told that story. And every time you tell it, uh, I have Frank Sinatra's My Way playing in my head. And I think, too, you know, maybe one day uh, he'll be uh, part of uh, this team making it to the top and uh, and that that song will continue to be playing in my head with all the success this team uh, perhaps can achieve in the not too distant future we're going to keep the conversation going with rick in just a moment want to talk about fan appreciation night and the uh, nft that will be available to fans to purchase if they are in attendance for tonight's final home game of the regular season we'll talk about that next here on the hornets hivecast Buzz City, it's time to return to the Hive. There are a limited number of socially distanced tickets available for each game. Fans can expect enhanced cleaning and disinfection procedures and an upgraded ventilation system at Spectrum Center because the health and safety of the team, staff, and guests is the top priority at the Hive. Join us Thursday for Fan Appreciation Night at the Hive as the Hornets wrap their home schedule against the Los Angeles Clippers. Tickets on sale now at Hornets.com. Back here on the Hornets Hivecast, and it is Fan Appreciation Night tonight, the final home game of the regular season. Hornets will be hosting the Los Angeles Clippers, and as with all Fan Appreciation Nights, there's always fun giveaways. That's not just a Hornets thing that's across the league, but there's one unique thing that is a Hornets thing this year, and that is the first ever NFT that will be released through the Hornets app. It is an opportunity to purchase a limited release for $4.99, a cryptocurrency not required. And it's in recognition of the Hornets' inaugural season back in 1988-89. So in honor of that, there's going to be 88 NFTs minted on the Flow blockchain and available for purchase if you are in attendance at tonight's game. For more on it, we're going to welcome in Tamara Daniels, the Hornets' senior vice president and general counsel. Tamara, welcome to the Hornets' Hivecast. Hey, Sam. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. We are excited to have you. So for those who are not familiar with NFTs just yet, because it still is kind of a new phenomenon in the NBA and in the world in general, can you explain what an NFT is and why the Hornets decided to make this part of their Fan Appreciation Night bargain offering? Yes, of course. And you are absolutely right. It is such a new concept that I myself did not know what it was even a couple months ago. So we have all been learning about this together as we go. But an NFT stands for non-fungible token. It's a unique, one-of-a-kind asset that can be traded, transferred, or sold on the blockchain. And blockchain keeps a digital record of the transactions, which allows buyers to easily verify the asset's authenticity, which is different than a lot of memorabilia and collectibles that we see in the sports world that are more of a item, those are more difficult to authenticate because you need some kind of certificate of authenticity and then you have to be able to trust that it's accurate, right? But the blockchain is a digital record that cannot be changed or altered. So it gives you a sense of comfort when you're making a purchase. 
and unlike an actual object, which, as you mentioned, is difficult at times to authenticate unless you're seeing it signed in front of you, taking a picture, recording it on video and all that, and then get it authenticated on the back end. But it's very difficult to keep in mint condition, whereas an NFT, it's always in mint condition. The thing I like most about this is how multifaceted this offering is. It's not just a form of cryptocurrency. It's not just a piece of art. Work. It's not just a piece of memorabilia. It is a, a memory. It is something we can hold on to. I, you know, I just moved here to Charlotte this year, and so I'll be looking through boxes that we've packed up hurriedly and, and start to unpack now. And I find old ticket stubs, and you know, my wife would call me a pack rat. I think I'm just nostalgic, but these are the kinds of memories we like to keep, and this is a way that we can do that. Because you never know at a game if you're going to see Miles Bridges throw down a dunk on top of Clint Capella and have that be a lasting memory for the rest of your life. But this NFT can be a part of that memory of a one-of-a-kind Hornet season. And I love that you mentioned that, and I'm just like you, so don't worry about that. But ticket stubs are definitely a great memento, and this is exactly what we were getting at with this particular NFT is that nostalgia and that ability to bring that with you throughout the course of your life without having to worry about that shoebox you have it in, that you might lose it in a move or that it might get damaged. This will be with you forever should you choose to keep it. But the other cool thing is if you want to trade it or sell it, you can do that too. And so the block chain for people who are just kind of learning about this now is is really like I would think of that as kind of where your asset or your NFT lives. That's where you go to to see it and that's where it gets transferred. And so whether it's an NFT or it's cryptocurrency, the blockchain is really the tool that is allowing us to be able to effectuate all of these trades. That's why I think so many people are really excited about it. You know, we've seen different iterations of what an NFT can be from the, I think the original one was the Crypto Kitties, and that was actually done by Dapper Labs, who now does Top Shot, which is a partner of the NBA. And so theirs is more of like a moment in a game, a highlight that they've captured and that they're selling. We wanted to go a different direction. We wanted to make it ticket stubs, a digital ticket, so that you can have a memory of the game that you attended, whether it was the first game you attended with your dad or your mom, or you saw a really great T-Row three-pointer that you want to just go back and have a memory of when you look back at that ticket stub. And we also wanted to make it really accessible to people who have no clue what a NFT is, and the people who are mad that arenas don't do paper stubs anymore, right? We're in the digital age. You're not going to get that paper stub anywhere. And your electronic ticket that you use to get into the game, that disappears after the game. But this will be something that you can keep. Now, to get this, you must attend the game. And tickets are still available. You can purchase your tickets at Hornets.com. And you must be in attendance in order to have access to purchase the NFT. That is correct, and we've made it really easy for those of you that are going to attend the game tonight. You will be able to go into the Hornets app and purchase your NFT just like you would go into the Hornets app and buy your hot dog at the concession stand. When you do that, keep in mind that the NFT is a unique, one-of-a-kind item. So after you purchase it, you're going to get a confirmation code, and it'll take a little bit of time for your individual NFT to get authenticated. You'll then get a separate email letting you know when your NFT is ready to take a look. And from there, it's just a really easy link that you're going to log in and you'll be able to view it and show it off to your friends. 
Now, we have not released these for resale yet. We wanted to give those NFT owners some time to enjoy them themselves, um, but then they'll be opened up for sale in the marketplace sometime in the future. Now, pardon my ignorance, Tamara, but there are 88 NFTs minted on the Flow blockchain for this event. There will be far more than 88 people in the building. How do we determine or how is it determined who gets which one where you are in line, what if everyone in the building wants one, how does all that sort out? Yeah, so that's a great question. It is first come, first serve. So we will be announcing its release in game. So you need to be paying attention. Um, I would say pay special attention during TV timeouts and um, intermissions. So keep keep your eyes on the Jumbotron for instructions. But once it's released, it's going to be a tile that will populate on the app that you won't be able to see before it gets released. So you just not got to be quick um, and get through. And the first uh, 88 people in the queue will get through the purchase line. There, there's a great multimedia team here with the Hornets that partnered with some outside partners to uh, put this on the Flow blockchain. Tell us about the full collaborative effort it took to make this a reality. Yeah, and we have an incredibly talented crew in-house in a number of different departments that came together to make this happen. And we just got the idea about six weeks ago, and we decided, hey, we want to make this happen. So we started off with brainstorming sessions with some of the key stakeholders from the in-game entertainment team, from our graphics team, from sponsorship, marketing, ticketing, business intelligence our app team. And so all of these folks just sort of came together. We invited anybody else to participate in the brainstorming who had any interest in the space. And we just kind of kicked around ideas until we came to uh, a point after about three sessions that we knew we wanted to do a ticket for all the reasons you and I talked about, and we wanted to make it one of a series. So from there, our in-house designers came up with the artwork. And a little bit of a teaser is that there's an animation component, which they were also able to do in-house, which is pretty amazing. I mean, they're basically an in-house agency that we have. These folks are super talented. They came up with a couple of different design ideas, and we as a group picked the one that we thought was the best for this particular game. And then in order to actually get it minted and on the Flow blockchain, we partnered with a vendor called Mint, which is the vendor that Dapper Labs uses. And they are going to be minting it on game day. So it will be born, so to speak, on the day of the game. And that's how you will know that it's unique. And then you will get a electronic record of which number in the series of 88 that you personally got. And you'll get the exact time and date stamp of when your personal NFT was made. It's going to be a very fun opportunity, only available to our fans in attendance tonight for Hornets Fan Appreciation Night, the final home game of this uh, incredible, unique season as the Hornets take on the Los Angeles Clippers. Tamara Daniels, Hornets Senior Vice President and General Counsel, thanks so much for joining us here on the Hornets Hivecast and look forward to seeing you tonight at the Hive. Yes, thank you so much. Hornets fans, be sure to download the Hornets app on your mobile device. The Hornets app is your access to all new features and exclusive content, including the new game day experience for every game this season. Back again here on the Hornets Hivecast, and we welcome back to the conversation from the Charlotte Observer, Rick Bunnell. Rick, it is a game day. We've got a game to preview, but one other thing we've been doing as of late is scoreboard watching. Uh, There's one other game to keep an eye on tonight. That would be Milwaukee 
at Indiana. The Hornets, I think, primarily due to injuries and ailments and absences, just trying to hang on to the eight seed. They still have control of their own destiny in the thought that if they win out, they will be the eight seed. But it's a very difficult schedule moving forward, including tonight's game against the Clippers. So watching the scoreboard is important. What do you expect from that Milwaukee at Indiana result? And how much help do you think is coming the Hornets' way from the Pacers and Wizards' combined opponents? The Bucks have been a really odd team. They got their doors blown off in San Antonio the other night. You know, the, the Pacers having to play the Bucks in the second night of a back-to-back and a really crowded last week for them, um, that'll be a challenge. Generally speaking, how many wins do you think the Hornets need to get in these last three games to be the eighth seed? I do not think if they go zero and three the rest of the way that they're getting into the seven and eight game. And, and, you know, Sam, because this is new to fans, I think we really need to reinforce the idea that what the NBA has done is created really significant tiers. You don't want to finish lower than six. And there's a really important difference between finishing eighth and ninth in the sense that if you finish eighth, you have two chances to win one game to get into the playoffs. If you finish ninth or tenth, you are basically in the NCAA tournament. Lose and you go home. It's very true. I I really like the play-in tournament in that way. I do understand what we're hearing from a lot of players that we've worked this hard, we've earned something by being the seventh or eighth best team, and now we have to play some more to get into the bracket and them not liking it. I understand that because of how things have been since they've been in basketball, but I think the longer the play-in tournament sticks around, the more they will look at seven and eight being an advantage for the play-in rather than a punishment keeping them from the playoffs. You want people to play longer, to avoid tanking longer, to continue to compete even if you're in the bracket longer. And I think historically, the only positions you would really push for prior to this season were first, second, fourth, and eighth. Those were the only ones where there was a significant prize over the spot directly below it. And now you've doubled the number of positions that you want to compete for. You compete for first, second, and fourth because of the advantages they have within the bracket. But as you mentioned, sixth is important compared to seventh, seventh to eighth, eighth to ninth, ninth to tenth, tenth to eleventh. So I think it's doubled the importance of positioning within the bracket, and I think the results have been great, at least so far. So um, I think, you know, the longer it exists, the more likely, again, players, coaches, fans look at being in seventh less as, oh, man, we're being penalized because we didn't finish sixth, and more as, hey, we're being rewarded. We've got two cracks to make that bracket, and we get to host both of them. Sam, I think the reason that the play-in tournament is here to stay is because the national television networks are going to love it. And right now, this is a temporary problem, but it's going to set a precedent. Anything the NBA can do to make Turner and ESPN ABC happy, they're going to do. Well, there, there is no doubt there is a financial gain for it in that regard, yes. But wouldn't you agree that from a competitive standpoint, we're seeing many, many more teams work much harder to gain sixth place over seventh or eighth over ninth than we ordinarily would. I agree with you that it's made a team like Cleveland um, 
you know, compete longer and that there's something healthy about that. Where you and I disagree, and I felt the exact same way when baseball put in what I think is a kind of a cockamamie one-game playoff, that there's something about diminishing the value of the regular season the way this does that just makes me a little uneasy. Well, the the one thing that I think we could see tinkered with is, and this might have to play out over two years, is the scheduling part of it. Because I think if we have a one seed or two seed come out really slow after having a, basically a week off at the end of the regular season and drop the first two games against one of these teams that won their way in through the play-in tournament who's still more in rhythm – then I think we might see an effect because uh, as much as the NBA, I'm sure, wants to cash in on these play-in games, if you lose Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks in round one because they're playing a Pacers team that is in rhythm and they're not, that's not good for the bottom line either. If you lose your biggest stars, your best teams in round one because they had to sit and wait while those other teams were still playing. You know, Sam, I know you're a tennis fan like me, and there's an expression in tennis that I think applies to the situation. Um, somebody who is a really, really good player on the tennis tour, who by coincidence, the way the computer ranks people is just outside the seated players is called a dangerous floater. The Washington Wizards, would you not agree with me right now, define what a dangerous floater is? They do, and the Lakers do. I mean, the Lakers, that that potential that they could get healthy, I wouldn't want to play them if I'm in the Western Conference. And and, uh, I don't think if I'm wearing purple and gold, I'm looking around and saying, hey, if we're healthy, why wouldn't we beat any of the top two contenders in the NBA's Western Conference? Wouldn't wouldn't one of the TV networks love to get a one game or there are huge consequences matchup of the Lakers and the Warriors? It's true. It's true. And then and then the other half of that point, then we'll, we will get to tonight's game, is I understand the argument that it's a little gimmicky to say, hey, you've played 82 games, now play two more. But I do think that in the past, there has not been much incentive to push for sixth, push for seventh. But I think that's important. I think it's good for the game not just to have two extra or three extra games that are of ultimate importance, but also have maybe as many as 10 or 15 towards the end of the season that are also given greater emphasis by all those competing for it because they know they can avoid the play-in tournament if they win enough and get into sixth place or they know they can host the play-in tournament if they can stay in seventh. Yeah, and you know something when you say that, I mean, the NBA sometimes really envies the NFL, and the NFL adores everybody being like one game in or out of the playoffs in the last weekend of the regular season. The fact that we don't know who's going to play when on Saturday and Sunday, that is a scheduler's and marketer's dream. It truly is. It truly is. Well, the Hornets can increase the importance of each and every one of these games. They've already accomplished their main task for the season, which is ensure that there will be postseason action in the Queen City for the first time in five years. Now they want to host it. Beating the Clippers would certainly help that. L.A. played a really good game against a very undermanned Toronto team the other day. They are playing awfully well in general as a top-four team in the Western Conference 
What do you think about the matchup? And based off how the Hornets played the other day, uh, despite the loss, I thought they played a really good game and showed a lot of fight. What do you think their chances are against the Clippers? I thought they played dramatically better against the Nuggets than they did against the Pelicans. And I largely traced that to how well Devontae played. And I wrote a column where I said, you know, humble suggestion to JB, start Cody Zeller and start playing that three-guard lineup a whole lot. Because, again, we talked about JB being an an unconventional thinker. Yeah, you know, there are going to be difficulties, matchup difficulties, when you play constantly play three guards together. But he's got to figure out a way to make the other coach blink. And I think until Gordon or, or Miles is available, he's got to try things out of the ordinary. And when he puts the three-guard lineup on the floor, there are occasional times when it backfires. But by his own description, they have had surprising success doing that this season. The the biggest change to the Clippers from the Nuggets, I think, is how well overall the center is playing. Avica Zubats is a very talented guy who I know the Clippers love, but he's not Nikola Jokic now, and he's unlikely to ever be because that's an MVP over there for Denver. So I don't think it's a slight at Avica saying, hey, you, you might not be an MVP of the entire National Basketball Association one day. But it's a better matchup for any of the Hornets centers, including Cody Zeller. And, you know, while I, I do like the way that the guards have been spaced out, the way JB has arranged them, closing with those three guards on the floor at the same time is not the easiest cover for the Clippers, even with the height advantages they will have. I wish they had Cody Martin for this game because having their best perimeter defender would be a really important thing in that particular game against the Clippers. Sam, the other thing about about you know when looking forward to the rest of the you know the, the brief rest of the regular season is. I think if you were a Hornets fan, you were hoping that at some point this week they would be playing teams that didn't have stakes. And unfortunately, it's unlikely that's going to happen. I mean, the, the Wizards would just have to like fall through the floor for Sunday not to matter to them. And obviously, particularly after the Knicks lost in Los Angeles, that game's going to be live for the, for the Knicks very clearly on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's the other edge of that sword that I talked about liking so much about the plane increasing the emphasis on all of these closing games because so many more spots are of much more significance than they used to be. The plus side is overall it gives us great entertaining basketball on the other side for the Hornets as they sit right now. They can't find a team in their schedule that is just ready to lay down for them. Sam, if you don't mind me going inside baseball for 30 seconds, I just want to I want to send out appreciation to somebody way, way, way behind the scenes that nobody in the public knows about. Um, Brian Travis is the, the guy who, you know, who logistically makes things work for Hornets media relations on a, on a very granular level. It has been a challenge for every one of us to, to deal with this season in a pandemic. And Brian has mitigated all the hassles. Whether it's making Zoom calls work, whether it's getting players on the phone for one-on-one interviews, there's been a thousand and one impossible details in making this season not clumsy. And Brian has made our lives as media members in Charlotte so, so, so much better this season. 
Amen. Amen. He and Maggie Yang and Michael Martinez and Mike Cristaldi, who leads that whole crew, they have all been fantastic. One, one quick inside baseball story for me. You know, Brian, at about the turning point of the season, the midway mark, told me like they were, because fans were coming in, they were rearranging the seating a little bit and moving my broadcast position. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm an easygoing guy. You know, where, where are you putting me? It's like, oh, we're just going to put you to your normal spot. And I said, well, I'm, I'm my first year. I don't know where my normal spot is. And he said, oh, it's the parking lot F. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, okay, I, 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 I haven't been here that long, but I haven't, I'm not that much of a noob to, to think that I watch my monitor every game. But uh, it was a nice moment from, for me and Brian and uh, I guess my welcome to the NBA from him. Rick Bunnell of the Charlotte Observer, thanks as always for joining us here on the Hornets Hivecast. Sure thing, Sam. Thanks for having me. And thanks to all of you for tuning in as well. A reminder, tickets are still available for tonight's game, so if you want to get your hands on your own Hornets NFT, make sure you go to Hornets.com and make sure you've got your Hornets app downloaded and ready to go once it becomes available during the game. A reminder, we will have our breakdown podcast tomorrow, giving you all the notes, quotes, and anecdotes from tonight's game against the Clippers. Till next time, for everyone here on the Hornets Hivecast, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you with us today on the HHC and in the words of LaMelo Ball. Thank you. Have a good day. Wear your mask. Thanks for listening to the Hornets Hivecast. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.